Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Rabbi. So as Rabbi mentioned, I'm Jonathan, and I'm bringing the message this morning. And I just want to let you know that it is a privilege and an honor to be asked to give the message at this time of the year on Yom Kippur. And each one of us, we have a message inside that the Lord is calling us to give. Let us make sure that when he calls us that we're prepared at that time. And that leads me into the content of today's message. The content is that the time to serve the Lord is now. Your time to serve the Lord is now. Are you ready? Will you hear him and will you accept that call? So the mighty sound of the shofar rings in the synagogues from Yom Teruah to Yom Kippur. And that shofar calls us to wake up. But what are we waking up from? And why do we need to awaken at all? Have we been asleep? During Yom Teruah, the 10 days of awe, and Yom Kippur, the sound of the shofar calls us to spiritually awaken, calls us to repentance, calls us to newness of life. In that same way that God redeemed Isaac with the ram, God has offered to redeem each of us with Yeshua's sacrifice. If we trust in him, if we accept that sacrifice, that he died for us, accept his redemption, our lives no longer belong to us, but they belong to him. They belong to God. So that means that God has entrusted us with his resources. And the most precious resource that we have is time. So to gain an understanding of why time management is critical to our spiritual walk, we must first understand the concept of stewardship. Everything belongs to God, and we are managers of the time that he has given us. Yeshua taught on stewardship in Matthew 25, where we read, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags of gold. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put the money to work. And he received five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag, he went off, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags, and see, I have gained five more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we learn from that hard word from Yeshua that the Lord, he wants to give us more than enough. He wants to fill our cup to overflowing. We, however, are called to be faithful with what we have. As we walk out our faith in righteousness, we grow in the Lord. We go from glory to glory. And as we do so, the Lord entrusts us with increasing resources. We can therefore use this model to reflect on our lives. Think about your daily life. Ask yourself this question. Is it fulfilling? Is it fulfilling? If you aren't sure... I would encourage you, and, and as I often do, I encourage people to make lists. So I would encourage you to make a list of those activities that are bringing spiritual fulfillment and daily satisfaction. And then I'd ask you to make another list, a list of those activities which are exhausting and dragging you down. Good managers of God's time focus on fulfilling tasks. And this act of continually monitoring and improving behavior is one form of repentance. Will we repent from those things that are dragging us down and enter into the fullness of the Lord? So time management has a lot to do with Yom Kippur. Additionally, we learn from scripture about time management in the context of Yom Kippur. According to Leviticus 16, we read, and we read this in the Moxor, that this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native born or a foreigner residing among you. 
because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest. You must deny yourself. It is a lasting ordinance. So we learn from God's commandment that God has appointed times when he wants to meet with us, when he wants us to present ourselves to him, to give him back some of the time which he entrusted us. Yom Kippur gives us this one day where 100% of our focus is supposed to be on the Lord, supposed to be on getting right with him. So on this day, we have a unique opportunity and that unique opportunity is to experience physical lack, physical lack, denying ourselves physically so that we can shift our focus, shift our focus from the flesh to the spirit. We can, in a sense, experience how Yeshua denied himself on the cross and poured out his atoning blood to cover our sins. And in doing so, we gain a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation of the spiritual truth expressed in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, that we no longer belong to ourselves, for we were bought with a price. That price is Yeshua's blood shed for us. So since we were bought with a price, we now belong to the Lord. So let us reflect on how the average person spends their time. And I'm not, and I'm about to bring you a bunch of facts and statistics, and this isn't supposed to make you feel bad or for you to beat yourself up or anything like that. It's just to get, give us an understanding of how do people on average spend their time. Because it's very easy to fall into patterns of behavior and not to reflect on what we're doing day to day and how we're spending our time. When it's really critical that we spend our time in service of the Lord. So as we go through and reflect on how the average individual spends their time, I hope that it motivates inside of each of us to reflect on how we not only spend our own time, but reflect on how we see others spending their time. Because maybe we can speak into their lives as well. So there are 24 hours in a day, and I'm an accountant, so I'm, I'm pretty good with math, but I'm, there's gonna be a, a, quite a bit of math coming up. So there are 24 hours in a day, and most people with normal sleeping habits sleep around eight hours per day, and then they either work or go to school another eight hours per day. So if we're tracking, we did 24 minus eight minus eight. So we get 24 minus eight is 16, and minus eight is eight. So there's only eight hours left, only eight hours left. So this leaves only eight hours remaining for all other tasks. According to Joseph Kutzka of Meat Fox, statistics show that of this remaining eight hours, Americans spend one hour eating, so one hour eating per day, about two hours in the bathroom between getting ready and, you know, going to the bathroom. So two hours in the bathroom, one hour eating, two hours in the bathroom, and then about one hour commuting and driving around, going to the grocery store, things like that. One hour driving and commuting. So now we had eight hours, and we just subtracted one hour for eating, two hours for the bathroom, and one hour for commuting. So this leaves Americans with only four hours of discretionary time on a work day. That's what the average American has, four hours of discretionary time on a work day. Unfortunately, many people also waste this discretionary time, 
Joseph goes on to report that the average American, and this really shocked me, this really shocked me, the average American spends two and a half hours on social media every day, two and a half hours on social media uh, out of their four discretionary hours every day on social media. So that means scrolling through Facebook, looking at Twitter, all those various social media sites. And so that would leave them with only one and a half hours left. And so I was getting hopeful. I was getting hopeful that this one and a half hours would, would be spent on positive things and uplifting things. But Joseph didn't comment on it in his article. So I went out and I found another study by Dr. Itamar Schatz, which reported many of the same statistics, but he further goes on and he says that many people spend one and a half to two hours per day procrastinating. One and a half to two hours per day procrastinating. So when we factor all these ways of spending time, or, or, or can I say wasting time, together, we can see a notable absence of several positive ways to spend time. So the average American spends no time exercising, no time reading, no time socializing, let alone spending any time on spiritual matters. That's where the average American is. So I can't, I can't speak or I don't know your life, how you spend your time, but this is how the average American is spending their time. So let's, let's be introspective and think about how we spend our time. And further, to make matters worse, the scriptures tell us that time is short. In James 4, we read, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and stay there a year, trading and making profit. You don't even know if you will be alive tomorrow. For all you are is a mist that appears for a little while and then disappears. Instead, you ought to say, If I don't I want it to happen, we will live to do this or that. But that, as it is, in your arrogance you boast. All such boasting is evil. So then, anyone who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it is committing a sin. This sobering and convicting passage tells us that time is short and that we must live for the Lord today. We must live for the Lord today. We learn that active disobedience to the Lord's calling, whether out of rebellion and arrogance, or laziness and procrastination is sinful. And time really is short. This isn't just something that James wrote about, something that was written in the Bible. It pertained to them, but it doesn't pertain to us. Because, you know, we have medical advancement, and we, we can live much longer now, or so we think. But time really is short. And the scientific community actually, actually, in uh, contrast to that maybe common belief, it expresses that life is short. So now I'm gonna share some statistics and information on the brevity of life. And this isn't to scare you, this isn't to make you worried about uh, these, these following ways of potentially dying, the way of life being short, but it's to express the urgency of serving the Lord and giving your life to the Lord today. So we are never promised tomorrow. According to the CDC, the Center of Disease Control. In 2020, over 200,000, 200,000 accidental deaths occurred in the United States. 200,000 people who were expecting to live many tomorrows 
had their time cut short. Of the leading causes of death, falls accounted for 42,000 deaths. Motor vehicles for 40,000 deaths. And unintentional poisonings, unintentional poisonings, and this really shocked me when I read it, accounted for 87,000 accidental deaths. Unintentional poisoning. So through these statistics, we can see that even the secular world, even the secular world is aware of the brevity of life. So if we are so deeply aware of the brevity of life, why do we spend so much time planning for the future? Why do we spend so much time worrying about the future? And why do we spend so much time procrastinating? According to the University of Pennsylvania, it's because humans have what's called the ability of prospection. And prospection refers broadly to the mental representation and evaluation of possible futures. And this includes activities uh, such as cognition, uh, uh, planning prediction, and daydreaming. So this ability fundamentally shapes how humans think about things. It shapes our cognition, it shapes our emotions, and it shapes our motivations. So that is, humans have a unique gift of envisioning potential futures that extends far beyond that of other animals. King Solomon, who with the exception of Yeshua, was the wisest man who ever lived, so I hope we can take what he has to say to heart as the, the second wisest man to have ever lived. He commented on this paradoxical nature of the brevity of life in contrast to all of time in Ecclesiastes 3. He said, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So there's this paradox. There's this problem that we have as the human species, the human race. We understand intellectually that life is short. We understand intellectually that we're not promised tomorrow. Even the scripture tells us that we're not promised tomorrow. But inside our hearts, inside our souls, God has set inside each one of us the hope, the desire, the, the knowledge, the truth of eternal existence. So we have this problem. How do we reconcile our short lives, our brief lives, this myth that we are, with eternity? So although we know our lives are short, Solomon reveals this common human propensity to believe in eternity. And this human propensity was academically echoed by a three-year international research study published in 2011 by the University of Oxford. And the University of Oxford uh, didn't, wasn't uh, a spiritual community. They weren't trying to go out and prove the existence of God or anything like that. But they did research. And they concluded that humans have a natural tendency to believe in God and an afterlife. This was a 1.9 million euro project, and it involved 57 researchers who conducted over 40 separate studies in 20 countries. And this represented a diverse range of cultures. So each person appears to have an inner knowing that we are meant to live forever and be part of God's plan. Fortunately, if you're a believer here today, you have an answer to this paradox. You have an answer and you have security in the Lord. 
Yeshua resolved this paradox by reconciling us with God. When Yeshua died on the cross for our sins, for my sins, the veil that separated the inner court from the Holy of Holies in the second temple was torn. The high priest could only enter the Holy of Holies once a year on Yom Kippur. So this torn veil symbolizes that Yeshua's blood had atoned for the sins of humanity. You and I can now enter into right relationship with God. Yeshua further resolved this paradox in his resurrection and ascension into heaven. If you're a believer here today, be confident in the eternal security of your salvation. Yeshua is not dead, but alive, interceding before the Father on your behalf, on the behalf of all who trust in his atoning sacrifice. In the same that he rose from the dead, rest assured that you one day will rise in him. Amen. But in exchange for this confidence, this confidence in eternal life, God owns us. And our time is really his time that he has given us to manage. In contrast, non-believers are doomed. Non-believers are doomed. They aren't promised tomorrow any more than you and I are, any more than believers are. And they face eternal judgment, just like, like we would if we weren't believers as is laid out in John 3, 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But, but please hear and listen to this. Let it permeate your heart. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So as believers, what are we going to do to save this fallen world? Save this fallen and dying world. We are called to minister to it. And ministry is more than speaking from the pulpit like I am here. According to Grace Theological Seminary, ministry implies a sense of being duty-bound to work under God's authority as his loyal servant. And I hope if you proclaim to be a believer here today that you feel that. You feel like you're a loyal servant of the living God, and you feel that duty-bound sense of urgency. So each one is called to different ministry according to the gifts imparted by the Holy Spirit. But to discover our ministry, we must be prepared to hear and obey the Lord. And I can't speak on your specific calling, and regardless of your specific calling, we can all develop in obedience through, the, through, through three practical application points. So if you're taking notes, I'm about to present three practical application points that you can write down in your notes. And those three practical application points are repenting, walking in righteousness, and sharing the gospel. So we're going to look at those today in the context of the time that the Lord has given us. 
So practical application point number one, repentance. Today is the day of repentance. If you aren't repenting, you're wasting your time. So to prepare our hearts for ministry, we are called to repent from sin. And this is critical. So if you're taking notes, this is the critical sentence to write down. Repentance is not a one and done activity. Repentance is not a one and done activity. You're not going to repent on Yom Kippur today and never have to repent again. If you do, if you become perfect, come, come tell me. You can come teach. Come teach. I need your help. I need your help. So repentance is a practice. It's the practice of continually seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit to do what is right and abstain from what is evil. To literally increase and embrace those activities that animate our faith, that bring our faith alive, that quicken our faith. And to turn away and cut off. And, and this is important. There's this concept of teshuvah. So we want to cut off. Cut off those activities or devices that lead us to sin. So Hebrews 12 admonishes us to run the race set before us, keeping our eyes on Yeshua and our promised salvation in him. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also get rid of every weight and entangling sin. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and lose heart. So to experience true repentance, we must turn away from sin. And this means taking every step necessary to stop the sinful behavior. And this can take many forms and take a widely varying amount of time for each individual to accomplish. And so I'm going to give you an example this morning of one a common sin. And that common sin is that we take our eyes off of Yeshua to be continually distracted. So we take our eyes off Yeshua because we're continually distracted. So almost everyone has a cell phone. Everyone has a cell phone. A personal distraction device. A personal distraction device. Well, that's probably why you're spending two and a half hours a day scrolling through social media. <laughs> the personal distraction device. So, so one way to combat the temptation to get sucked into the device is to track your app usage. Track your app usage. So most mobile devices either have a built-in or a downloadable app timer. So I would encourage you, if you're prone to getting distracted, like I am, I'm prone to getting distracted, I will be honest. Use this to reduce and limit your screen time. And if you find yourself unable to control your screen time, even with the timer, find an accountability partner. Find a fellow believer in the Lord and give them your password. Let them control your password so that you can't exceed these designated time limits. Another strategy is to leave your phone off or at home when you don't want to be distracted. So on Yom Kippur, for example, right now, I don't even carry my phone. I don't have my phone on me at all because we are called to prioritize Yeshua. 
We are called today to prioritize Yeshua. Everything else can wait. So practical application point one is we are called to repent. Today is the day of repentance. Application point number two. Today is the day of righteousness. Your actions testify of Yeshua to the world around you. Are you giving a true and honest testimony or not? So once we repent, we must walk in righteousness. Those who profess to believe can no longer walk in sin. If we continue to live in sin after proclaiming to have repented, we risk walking away from our salvation. And it, has, it progresses. It progresses. So I'm going to go through the progression now. The first thing that happens when we continue to walk in sin and claim to have repented and claim to be living in righteousness is we first lie to others and live in hypocrisy. We have a facade of righteousness when inside we are spiritually dead. So we don't want to be hypocritical to the world around us. So then after that, after that hypocritical stage where we're just lying to others, then it can progress and we can start to lie to ourselves. We can start lying to ourselves. And when we do that, we, we produce the, this, this bitter and evil fruit, this bitter and evil fruit of justifying our sins. We justify our sins. We downplay them, think they're not a big deal, think they're not hurting anybody else. So we begin to justify our sins. And then if we continue in that for a while, finally, finally the lie can take root and cause us to despise the word of God, despise fellowship, and despise all truth, as all truth comes from the Lord. So those who testify to believe in Yeshua, and if you're that person today, you take on a high spiritual calling. Just as God restored Israel to testify of his sovereignty to all the nations, as prophesied in Ezekiel 36, Yeshua has restored each of us to testify of him to our communities. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua declared believers to be the salt and light of the world. We read, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in exchange for his eternal reward, we are called to publicly proclaim the Lord in our daily lives. We commit to being above reproach. We commit to being above reproach. But that doesn't mean that we're perfect. But we commit to forsaking sinful and worldly ways of living. When people look at our behavior, they should see the difference and both be attracted to and convicted by our new life in Yeshua. This means that the way we live our lives can have eternal consequences on our community. 
Commit today to live in righteousness and to make kingdom impact. Forsake your old way, your old hypocritical way of living. Shine the light of the Lord in your life today. So the second practical application point is to walk in righteousness today. Start today. Practical application point number three. Today is the day to proclaim the good news. The decisions that you make today can make the difference whether someone else chooses eternal life or not. If you believe in your free will, it is not a tenable position to also believe that there is nothing that you can do to affect who chooses to accept God. And I want to repeat that because I use a kind of a big word, a word we don't use very often, tenable. What I'm trying to say is, is if I believe that I have free will, I can't then turn around and say, well, you don't have free will. That would be an illogical position. If I have free will, I also need to accept the position that my neighbor has free will. So the things that I say to them, the things that I impart to them today, can affect their decisions, can affect their choices. So Paul expresses the importance of preaching the good news in Romans 10. And I believe that Romans 10 supports this idea that we can make an impact. Our testimony of the good news of the gospel of Yeshua can save other souls. How then shall they call on the one whom they have not trusted? And how shall they trust in the one they have not heard of? And how shall they hear without someone proclaiming? And how shall they proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news of good things. But not all heeded the good news. For Isaiah says, Adonai, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Messiah. And it is also imperative, not only that we share the gospel, that, that we know it and we share it to others, but that we are ready to share it, share the good news at all times. And, and this is something that maybe is hard for others. It's definitely hard for me. And in any circumstance, and in any circumstance, we are to be willing to buck the societal trends and risk persecution, risk persecution to save souls. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, we read this charge that I believe is applicable to all, all believers here today. I believe it's applicable to me, and if you're a believer in Yeshua today, it is applicable to you. He charges Timothy, Tim, Timothy with, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Messiah Yeshua, who is about to judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Proclaim the word. Be ready when it is convenient or inconvenient. Comfort, rebuke, encourage with complete patience and instruction. For the time will come, and this time has come. The time I'm about to talk about has come. For the time will come when they will not put up with sound instruction, but they will pile up for themselves teachers in keeping with their own desires to have their ears tickled. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and wander off to myths. You, however, keep a clear mind in all things. 
withstand hardship, do the work of proclaiming the good news, and fulfill your service. So we therefore must not be complacent. We must not be complacent. We can't pull up an armchair while society collapses around us and say that, well, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm good, I have the Lord. We can't do that while society is collapsing around us and unbelievers are facing judgment. While the mainstream media promotes all sorts of perverseness, we are to be like paramedics or firefighters responding to a 911 call. We are to be like soldiers gearing up for battle. Souls are on the line. Make the decision to stand for Messiah Yeshua today. Don't wait until tomorrow. So these three practical application points of repenting, walking in righteousness, and spreading the gospel, they might sound like a lot of work. And in some ways, we might think and experience that they are. But they pale. They pale in comparison to what Yeshua has done for us. Let's now return to the shofar blast, calling us to wake up. So I believe that we are called to spiritually awaken, but spiritually awaken to this truth, that Yeshua is the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, and that as believers, we walk in newness of life through him. We walk in the newness through remembering what Yeshua has done for us, and that our new identity that we have in the Messiah is eternally secured. So let us remember together what he has done for us. He chose us before the creation of the world and made us in his image. He crafted us unto good works and he knows his plans for us. That is who we are. He pulls us out of the pits and cast our sins behind his back. And he loved us in our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He bore our sins on the cross and by his wounds we are healed. He reconciled us to himself and intercedes before the Father as our great high priest. He clothes us with immortality and gives us victory over the grave. He justifies us by faith and has fulfilled the law. He commands us to make disciples of all nations and he sends us out into the world. He gives us authority over all demons and the power to cure all manner of disease. He ordains us as a royal priesthood and we are his temple. He challenges us to endure until the end, and in doing so, we will reign with him on the earth. That is who we are. And if you trust in Yeshua today, that is who you are. Will you serve him today? You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 
842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.